We had uh, some time ago our brother Tibor. This is uh, sometime last year. He spoke a little bit about the image of God and, and how God works and how God is. And uh, last, uh, uh, last week, so the week before, uh, was the week before where Brother Ben touched on the image of God. And uh, I have had uh, already four, I believe, in this series of God. And now this is uh, the fifth one. And I can tell you that I feel most awkward talking about God. I feel unfit to speak of such a great, such a loving and such a unsearchable God. So this uh, morning I'd like to share with you on uh, what does God look like? What is his image? And, uh, and I know that, that this, this will somehow challenge your mind and, and we don't want this to be a, uh, an academic feast or, or something that we will challenge yourselves to think and, and not have any answers, but rather that it can be meaningful to us that we can appreciate God for who he is. And I hope that that, that's what this does this morning. And so I'll go straight to it. I will not have any introduction. But uh, I I looked at a few places where he talks about God and and what he looks like and and also some some accounts that we find in the scriptures. And one of the first ones is in in Genesis uh, 32, 30. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So we need to look at, uh, at that and consider it, because the Hebrews had a, a way and an idea of exaggerating things. So we know that. In a way that they have written things, they wanted to make a point. And I don't question what uh, Jacob, his, his experience was. But it was at night, remember, that this happened. So how much did he see of God and that he saw him face to face when he wrestled? The other one is in Exodus 33:11. It said, The Lord will, would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp um, by this, uh, uh, his young Aid Joshua, son of Nun, who did not leave the tent. So again, we see that uh, it is recorded that God would speak with Moses face to face as with a friend. However, we have a, a little bit more to this as, as we look at, on, 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 as we are unfolding this, what actually took place in some of those events. And so I'll read in Exodus 33. So that was in, in, uh, in, in 32 and 33. But as we continue reading in Exodus 33, and I, I will not read the whole chapter because it's, uh, it's just too much. And, and, and this, by the way, is not a Bible study. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. This is God saying to Moses, Moses, you cannot see my face. No one can see my face. 
And I, I, I realized why. So how are we going to do this? I need to be here in, in, in your presence, you in my presence. And how are we going to deal with this? So in 21, it says, Then the Lord said, There is a place near me, not far from me, where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in that rock and cover you with my hand until... I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you must not see. Now, this is, uh, I don't know about you, but, but this challenges me. So God is going to put Moses in a cleft of a rock. We know that that is Jesus. We heard about that many times. That, that place is very near to God. It's right there. It's unmovable. And I'm going to put you in there. And then God is saying he's going to do what? Cover. My goodness. Igor, you're the closest to me. Can you please come up here? Thank you. Just stand there. This is my hand. Yeah. Hardly, barely covers half of your face. Not even. Thank you. You can sit down. God is going to cover Moses. How big is Moses? We have to ask. Is, is he a miniature? Yeah, small, small man in his statue. God is going to cover Moses with his hand. How big is this God? How big is his hand? You know, sometimes we believe, we believe in a very, very small God. And I know uh, that happens to me. Maybe it's not you, but I come to church and I bring God in a big, big box because I believe in a big, big God. And every time I leave out, I find myself that I need to leave that box. Maybe for Christmas Operation Child on his side and get a bigger box. Because all of a sudden it doesn't fit in a box that I brought him in. Recently, the scientists are all in agreement that as vast as the universe is, which they believe now that it's it changed. It changed in, in three months. Three months ago it was 32 billion light years in any direction. Now it's 46 billion light years. So if I travel at the speed of light, which is 300,000 kilometers per second, which will be from here to the moon in one second, if I traveled for 46 billion years, I would reach the portion of the universe that we can actually see light being emitted. That doesn't tell us that that's the end of the universe. By the way, we still don't know whether we are at the edge of the universe or the center of the universe because now we can go right, left, up, down, and it's still 46 billion light years away. But now we realize that this is not the only universe, that there are other universes. Yeah? They might be very different to ours, that they, they are perhaps different laws of physics. And, and, and different uh, uh, measurements. So we still cannot quantify our universe. And I felt like replying to those scientists, by the way, they're all in agreement, but they, they just then cannot, it's untangible for them. And I could have said, did you read Genesis 1-1? Maybe you should read that. Because it says that in the beginning, God created what? Heavens. And earth, yeah, Shamayin, the heavens, the universes, the cosmos, the many cosmos. And if this is 46 billion years ago, uh, uh, 
in, in, in uh, 40, 48, 46 billion light years in any direction of what we know, imagine what the other universes are like. And what Solomon is saying that the highest heaven, the heaven of the heavens, cannot contain you. What Solomon, Solomon understood that this universe cannot contain you, the other universes that may be around cannot contain you, and the sum of all of them cannot contain you. How big is God? Does it fit in your box? By the way, I used to think, because I'm a product of what I hear and of what I read, yeah? But I am reinterpreting now as I read. I'm starting to realize that God is far, far bigger than what I ever thought. When it says in Luke, when Jesus comes, that he will be seen like lightning, yeah? And I thought that he's going to go like a comet. Go from east to west. And the whole world will see him. And in a matter of seconds, he'll turn around the earth. Is that what it says? Maybe you should read it. It says that when lightning lights up the whole sky from east to west. Yeah? The whole thing lit up. That's how it's going to be the coming of Jesus. He is going to take up the whole sky. He is not a small God that will go like an aeroplane from one end to the other. Do we realize that? Do we realize how big and how awesome this God is? This is the God that we are invited and challenged to seek Him and to search Him and to serve Him. God is big. In John, John understands this. In John 1.18 it says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father. This Jesus is the one that has made him known. In John 4, 12, 1 John 4, 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That's what we were saying. You know, if you want a healthy church, you need to love God. And we need to know who God is. But also we need to love your neighbor. If you want God to be revealed in your lives, if you want God to be revealed in this church, then that is the first principle. That is the first stepping stone in knowing who God is. So what does God look like? I've got a slide there, a partial painting, I just zoomed that, of, um, of Michelangelo. Now, Michelangelo was a, 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 a person that feared the Lord. He really feared God. And he was seeking the scriptures. And when he read about Moses, that Moses' face was beaming when he came out down from the mountain, he actually sculptured Moses with horns. Because he understood, in Latin, the word horn and beam is the same. I haven't put it there, but it's an interesting place. If you ever go to Italy, go to Rome, go to St. Paul's Cathedral, and that's where you will see him. But if you remember, I recall now... Uh, your brother Tibor, when he said that in Egypt, it was God's did not move. But in Genesis, God is saying right there that the very first thing that God does, he creates. And then he speaks. He says, let there be light. And then he sees that the light is good. 
But not only he sees, but he can discern whether it's good or bad. All in one step, the very first step. So we see in all these throughout the Bible uh, that we have figurative descriptions. Um, I've got it there. You can read it with me. We get figurative descriptions of God as having human features. And these include references to God's face in the, in the Psalms, to God's eyes in Second Chronicles, to his lips in Proverbs, his mouth in Isaiah, his ears in, in James, his hands in Exodus, finger in Luke, arm in John, foot in Lamentations. Other Anthropomorphic imagery implies human characteristics. God is depicted as walking in the garden and also he can smell the sacrifices. There is much more that we could say about this God in, in the characteristics. By the way, you know, often I hear the reference of the person of God. You know, what's God's personality? I am not so sure that I can actually subscribe to that. God is not a person. God is a being. So when we say, I know that we try to, to play with words so we can understand, but how can God have a personality? He's not a person. He's a being. He's got character. He's got characteristics. But even all these words fail us in describing God. So don't be judgmental when people say, oh, what's God's personality? That's okay. We understand. But by the way, I'm starting to think, that God is much, much bigger than a person. Well, other religions imagine their deities actually being animal or in human form or as hybrid of animal and human characteristics as in Egypt and the Greeks, uh, especially in Greek mythology. The ancient Jewish religious traditions reflected in Scripture refrain from such, saying, you know what, that is not such a good thing. Our God is not like that. So the... The gods that, uh, that were in Mesopotamia were very small gods. They could not move. They could not speak. And God is challenging that saying, who do you compare me to? I'm not like any of them. You know, I can speak. I can smell. I can do everything that you do and far, far more. So do we look like God? Does God look like us? Well, he's not a man. I know that. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female he created them. James refers to this scripture and he says in James 3.9, With a tongue we praise your Lord and Father and we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. We know also through the scientific world that DNA leads us to one single human being. All of us. Uh, maybe I would recommend that you read Acts chapter 17 when you get home. About Paul arguing this case in the Areopagus. And he's saying, you know what? I'm not saying just this. 
But some of your philosophers are saying this, and they are right. We are God's offspring. <clears throat> Pardon me. So, when Michelangelo is asked to paint God in a Sistine village, and I have an image there of Michelangelo, that's what he looks like. Take a very good look at him. Look at his nose. Look at his eyes. Look at this part here of, 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 of his eyes, his eyebrows. Look at that. And when he is asked to paint, let's go to the next image, paint God. I'm going to shrink this image. Let's go to the next one. Yeah. That's God. That's how he depicted God. He thought that God looks like that. Looks very similar, does he not? Uh, I got him there side by side on the next one. Thank you, Ben, if you look at that. They actually look like brothers. To Michelangelo, God looked like him and he looked like God. He understood that. By the way, as much as we understand that, that caused a problem. When the missionaries went to Africa after Reformation, they started to speak about this God, this God that loves them. And he was a white God. But can you imagine the Africans? How would they relate to a white God? The white people are the ones that stolen their gold, their diamonds. Now they have taken their children captive to be slaves. Some of them have been murdered. Some of them have been jailed. Some of these white people came to Africa and invaded and took their land and also made the ex-owners of the land to be slaves, beating them. Surely God couldn't be white. Surely. Same thing happened in, in Asia. We have, uh, we have some, bro some, some sisters, brothers here from, from uh, India. Ask them, what does Krishna and the Indians God look like if it's not very much like the populous identity of that country? Look at Buddha in China because people can only identify with themselves and we misread the Bible when God created humans he created us all black and white yellow red any color any nation in his image so when we read it we're not reading it to someone else we're reading it unto us because I look like God in some degree in, to some degree in some way by the way, when Michelangelo painted Jesus, he didn't make him as vivid. He made him a little bit blurry. Can we have go to the next slide? And still, Jesus looks a lot like Michelangelo. Very much so. So this is not about art. Uh, this service is more about how we think about God, what he looks like. But you know what? We struggle with that. We struggle with that idea because... We read in the scriptures that God made us in his image and then Jesus comes and takes our image, our likeness to turn us into his image. And somehow, we, that, that's too big for us. And it is. We, we, we cannot get that together. However, Unless we understand the synergy of the Holy Spirit, we're going to miss this point. And I'll come to that in a minute. So let's go to Philippians 2.5. 
Philippians 2.5 Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. What is said in here is that when God creates humanity in his image, we have marred that humanity and we no longer look like God. We have a different image now. You are not the person that I have made. You know, uh, people that have that suffered trauma. I just heard of a story not long ago of a girl and there was a whole bunch, it was a school bus full of kids and, and there was an accident and only one girl survived. And so they, they, they called the parents and she was so badly disfigured. And so she was in coma for a long time. And after coming out of coma, the parents are there and they're talking to this girl. And this is a true story, by the way. And, and they could not, uh, they said something is wrong. There's something mentally, psychologically wrong with this girl. She is not the girl that she was before. But she was so badly disfigured that they could not recognize her. Lo and behold, some time went by and she started speaking. And she said, I am not your daughter. I am the daughter of James and Joanne. Your daughter is dead. And so, <clears throat> can you imagine the trauma for the parents, for both parents? But sometimes people can be so badly disfigured that are beyond recognition. And that is us human beings who are so badly disfigured from the image of God that we no longer look like God. So Jesus took our image. He took our likeness. And he says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then we find in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I've got a, a, a small chart there on the next one, on the next slide. And so basically what this is saying, that God made us in His image, but we have disfigured our image. And when Jesus is on the cross, this Jesus that is disfigured, this Jesus that is wounded, this Jesus that is bleeding, this Jesus that is struggling for life, struggling for his breath, this Jesus that is dying, this Jesus who his friends and his own people have forsaken him, this Jesus that was, that was unjustly tried, unjustly treated. This Jesus that is hanging on the cross, that is the image of what you look like. That's what Jesus is saying. This is your image. Have a look at me. Have a look at how far you have fallen. This is you. I have taken your image and this is what you look like. Look like in a mirror. We were created in God's image. And now God is showing us our image of what we look like. And now the Holy Spirit. Can you see? God created us in His image. Jesus takes our image in order to redeem us, 
God the Creator, Jesus the Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit now is a transformer, is the one to, that is going to make us look back to the image of God. Do we get that? <clears throat> Mark 12, 13. Jesus is confronted with this uh, question. Later, they uh, sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to, to who or what they say. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And here's the question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Jesus knew the hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me the denarius. Let me look at it. They brought a coin and asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Has everyone got a 20 cent coin? Anyone? Oh, we don't use money anymore. No, it's all, not cash. You, you, you're not very good wonks. Um, but on any coin that you would have. Yeah, thank you, Jess. I'll have that. Can you tell me whose image is on that coin? Kangaroo. <laughs> a kangaroo, yes. And, and what else? The Queen of England. And this belongs to the Queen. So what Jesus didn't end up saying, and I wish that he did. So whose image is in you to the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Whose image is it? Because I am afraid that you are a thief. That you have stolen from God. This image is not yours. This image is not for you to, to do whatever you want to do. But this image is to glorify God. And you're a thief. And any thief will be thrown into jail. Or you are in jail. You are a thief. You have stolen from God. And Jesus is saying, return to God. What is God's? Whose image is that? Whose image is in you? Whose image is in me? Thank you. God's image. Return to God. What is God's? And then you will see what God will do out of who you are now and who he wants you to be. There is one scripture that I could not help but read it. And it's found in Psalms, out of all places. Psalms chapter 2, verse 2. And the groom is saying, Like a lily among the thorns is my darling among the young women. Out of the thorns, of course, yeah, the thorny crown on his head, but also the thorns that are in the field. Out of there, with all your misery, with all the drought in your life, as dry as your land may be, 
with all the lizards that are there, with all the ants and all the other frightening things that might be there, out of there, I'll make a lily out of you. I will make something beautiful out of where there is no beauty. That's what I want to make out of you. And you know what the response of the bride is? I love it. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be loved. I want to change that. Let his banner continue to be loved. This God loves you, loves me. And he wants to change us and transform us back to his image. As big as he is. He says that the universe cannot contain him. I don't know why. I don't understand. We're not worthy. I, 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 maybe I shouldn't include you. I am not worthy. I'm not worthy to speak, to say these words. You know, I, I, I feel moved. I, 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 I struggled the whole week. How can I speak about this God who is so big and so great? And so loving and so kind to me. So my question is, what are you going to do with this God? What are you going to do with the image that is in you? Are you going to still hold it? Or are you going to return it to his rightful and only owner? I beg you. Choose wisely. May the God, the creator of heaven and earth, bless you, give you wisdom, and lead you to the transformation to be like Jesus Christ. Amen.